Well, welcome to another episode of That's My Dad, Tyler Hewitt, here in the studio with us. Welcome, Tyler. Glad to have you, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, th- this is a special interview for me. I think we're, we've done several now, but the ones I get to do with the guys that um, I grew up with and that grew up with me are, are really special. And my mind goes back, Tyler, to when you were about 13 or 14 and you and I were riding bikes. Yeah. We had some great bike trips, didn't we? Yeah. We yeah. Uh, we would go ride 100 miles at a time, and three or four of us, and uh, just just built some great relationships and some great memories. Do you remember the night we got stuck on the trail in the dark? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And we came in, and you guys had a wreck in the in the dark on a on an abandoned trail out in the, the Chief Ladiga Trail, it was. But we had a good time, and... But our, our history is that you came to Eagle Rock when you were how old? I was around 14. Yeah, right around 14 to 15. Yep. Yeah, and you had quite a – by the way, for those that don't know, Eagle Rock is a, a, a boys' ranch that I founded and uh, was was there. And Tyler was one of my guys, and I'm really proud of where he is. We're going to get to that in a minute. But there was a lot that went on in those 14 years – those four, first 14 years of your life. And I think that you have a story that a lot of young guys can relate to. Maybe a lot of them are going through now. And I wanted to get you to tell that story as much of it as you feel comfortable. Some of it may, we may leave out, but just mm-hmm. kind of tell us the story of your life. Cause it's, and y'all listen, this is going to be interesting. All right. So, uh, a lot of the true story, I didn't really find out until, towards the the end of the story i'm gonna tell but uh i'll start from the beginning i guess uh, i was born in california in the san diego area and so my biological mother and my father they uh they kind of just i guess they just had me you know mm-hmm. and then yeah. they weren't a couple so they would swap back and forth keeping me and uh, I would stay with my biological mom, her sister, and her, and then with my father when I stay with them, I would stay with all his family, his mom and his sister, and I had a, a big family on his side. And so eventually uh, some things went down between my mother and father, and uh, one day my mom just skipped town with me and – uh she left and ended up moving to uh, Texas, and she actually moved with uh, a guy. He became my stepfather, and so that was, I would say, I think I was around, the storyline was probably around two years old whenever that happened. I ended up in Texas, and uh, on my father's end, he didn't he didn't have a clue where I was, you know? He was just... He just knew he went to pick me up one day and her sister said, Hey, he's not, she's not here. You know, she moved to Texas. Well, the, the way the story went was, um, apparently she had became, become pen pals with this guy and they were, you know, writing letters back and forth. So I ended up down there and, uh, just, she was involved in a lot of drugs and so was he, my stepdad. So, um, later on when I was about four, my first sister, she was born 
And uh, a couple of months after that, they ended up both going to prison. So they ended up in prison for drug-related issues. So they were in prison, and then we didn't, we didn't have anywhere to go. So where we ended up going was with my stepdad's family. And so that would actually be no relation to me. It would just be my sister's, you know, uh, aunt and uncle and grandmother where, you know, they, my biological mom never told, you know, them about my dad, you know, and I never knew anything about him either. So, uh, all I knew is growing up was that my dad skipped town on me, you know, and that was it. So that's just all I ever knew about my dad. I didn't know anything about him. Well, uh, so we ended up living with these people and, uh, they just weren't, they just weren't the best people, you know, they didn't, they had kids of their own. And so whenever you're the people that we were living with, you know, sometimes when that happens, they'll accept you in, you know, as their own kids. And a lot of kids get lucky like that. And a lot of them don't. And so we weren't really accepted in, you know, we were just kind of burdens, you know, so we just didn't get treated the same way as them. You know, we getting, you know, abused and just a lot of mistreat mistreatment there and stuff like that. So we kind of went through, I went through that for years and years and uh, eventually we ended up staying with my sister's aunt and uncle for, I'll, I'll say probably third grade. I ended up staying with them full time. And so second to third grade around that, around that time. And, uh, one of the main things I took from that was from that age, the, the father, he would have been my father figure at the time because that's all I, I knew of as a dad, you know? So he wasn't really, he wasn't a good father figure, but he was a really hard worker. And so he really instilled that in me that, you know, what hard work is and that you have to work. And so that later on helped me as a man, you know, realize like, hey, we have to get out here. If you want something, you have to work for it. You just can't, you can't expect anything to just come to you. So one of the things we would do, and he had a son who's about two years younger than me. So every Saturday and Sunday we'd wake up and we go and cut grass. He had a lawn care business, and I started, I started doing that when I was, I believe, seven or eight. You know, you first you just start out pushing a push mower back and forth while he's weed eating or doing whatever he did, and then you know you level up to a weed eater and you start doing that. And anyways, I did that for the whole time I was with with them. You know, so one of the things that me and you've talked about was. Every every uh, morning, we'd stop at the store close to the house, and we'd get a drink. We get back then; they had those little twelve ounce Mountain Dew bottles, mm-hmm. yeah. and I would I would get one drink a day, and so I would drink on that all day, and I would just I remember cherishing that one little soda I had all day because he wasn't going to give you because he wasn't going to get anything else. Yeah. So you know, you sit there and. I was young, so I would, I would take the cap off and pour a little Mountain Dew 
in the cap and just sip on it. Yeah. Just being a kid, you know, and so I, that's one of the things I really remember from doing that, but just a lot of work and it really helped you in the begin like in the beginning of being a man, you know, growing up realizing once you turned old enough that you had to work that it's not that hard to work mm-hmm. as long as you started when you were young like that. And so anyways, we we did that every every weekend and I wasn't I had really I had really bad ADHD. So as a kid it was really hard for me to have a good, you know, be able to handle myself like a normal kid because I had such bad ADHD and I think you know now it's more normal for parents to realize you know how to treat that with their kids where back then I feel like what I went through was kind of just like I stayed in trouble you know like that's just the way you are and you're just going to always be in trouble so I was always you know always in trouble just a lot of abuse and mistreatment because of that you know and so you basically got left in a got locked in a house and left. Yeah. I yeah. You telling you had to crawl out the window to just yeah. fresh air. Yeah. That was that was back. That story was actually back with uh, before I ended up with the uh, my my sister's aunt and uncle, my biological mother and uh, stepdad. They were on drugs at the time. So my sister, she was still a little baby then. And uh, we would just get locked in the room, you know. I would just get locked in the room. and I didn't know what drugs was until I grew up and realized, oh, that's what happened, you know. And uh, we stayed with my aunt. She had moved to Texas, I guess. That's how she, we ended up, she ended up down there. And so my two cousins, they were uh, really close in age. They would come over to the window. They would start knocking on the window, and they would uh, they would holler at me like Tyler, Tyler. So you know, I'm probably around four, three or four at the time. This is one of the main memories I remember from being that little, you know. And I would be, I'll go to the window, and they would try to get me to jump. And now, you know, jumping out of a window. It's not very high, you know. It's just two and a half, maybe three feet high. But when you're four, that's a big jump. And yeah. I remember that was so far down. I was so scared. But I was, you know, four years old, and you're just careless. So, yeah, I just hopped out of the window, and we just go play in the yard. Of course, I would get in trouble every time. But Yeah, but they were they were locking you in a room. Yeah, locking me in a room. For well, hours at a time. Yeah. Even days. Yeah, we would time. just be stuck in there and, you know, a lot, drugs, the drugs they were doing, they they didn't, you know, they knew what they were doing, but they were more worried about getting high and things mm-hmm. like that than the safety of their own children, you know. So whenever they finally would wake up or whatever and find me, you know, I felt that, you know. And so especially the father, he was my stepfather. He was really abusive, especially towards you know, my mother and things like that. He wasn't afraid to put his hands on you. So went mm-hmm. through a lot of that until, like I said, they went to prison. And so fast forward back to with uh, my sister's aunt and uncle. 
they ended up wanting to move to uh, Alabama. And so the process of doing that, now that I'm older, I realize what, what happened. But they uh, they ended up, I guess, whenever you go to government housing, you have to mm-hmm. go on a waiting list. So I guess they were on this waiting list. Well, it was towards the end of my kindergarten year, and uh, we ended up moving to Alabama. But we stayed at a campground mm-hmm. for the whole uh, the whole summer, and we we lived that in a tent out there. We ended up moving into uh, the projects in Fairview, Alabama, and that's where I lived from first grade all the way to about ninth grade, not specifically in the projects. I don't remember when we moved, but we ended up moving into a trailer park. Mm-hmm. And so we lived in that trailer park for a while. And uh, it was just a lot of, you know, like I said, going back and forth, dealing with me, having ADHD, and I think them not knowing how to – how to uh, handle that you know so for them it was just whoopings and more whoopings and grounding so I spent mm-hmm. 90% of my childhood standing in a corner you know and I might be uh 10 years old and we were living in uh in the trailer park at that time and I would run away you know and go hide in the bushes and they would come out and they would find me and I would get in trouble you know get a whooping and then just go back through it again and again and so eventually i ended up getting into a, uh we were jumping on the trampoline with uh, i was jumping on the trampoline with their son and i was around 13 and he was probably 11 you know and you know whenever you're younger and your boys you're always play fighting always turns into an actual fight yeah and so that's when it ended up happening. We started getting into actual fight. And so just as a kid, you know, and they ended up calling the cops on me. So I ended up going to, they pressed charges on me. The people I lived with since I was, you know, four years old. So they pressed charges on me. Ended up going to uh, the detention center in Coleman, Alabama. And so I was in there for, I think it was three or four days. But by the time that I was in there, I, I liked being in there more than I did being with those people, you know. And so uh, I stayed with them for – now I, I would get out. And then I would – you know, by, after that, they end up I ended up going on probation. So they would tell my probation officer, you know, hey, he's doing this or that, you know. They'll put me back in there. So I'll go back and forth, and I spent a couple weeks in there on the summer, that summer I remember, and uh, eventually, they the uh, system ended up sending me to uh, boot camp, and the name of the boot camp was uh, Camp Mitnick, and I was there for six weeks. I get out from there, and I started going back to school. I think I was in ninth grade at the time I just started I'd actually started my high school year in that boot camp and then I got out and actually started going to back to high school out there at Fairview for uh in ninth grade and um I got in trouble again with them 
for something, you know. I'm not mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was. There was so much stuff, but uh I ended up going into a behavior center that ninth grade year. By this time I'm I'm already fourteen. So I believe I was fourteen mm-hmm. and uh I had a social worker and I remember I I went in there that ninth grade year and I remember spending my Christmas in there. Uh and Thanksgiving, I spent Thanksgiving and Christmas in there. I can't remember when it, exactly it was, but my social worker, you know, she was, like, looking for somewhere for me to go. Basically, uh, she had talked to to those people, the people I was living with, the parents, and uh, they didn't want me back, you know. They didn't want anything to do with me anymore. So, you know, that really strikes you out there, you know, 10 years of your life you spent with these people. And that just kind of shows how much they cared about you, you know. So they said, we don't want them anymore. So they ended up uh, looking everywhere, my social worker, and that's whenever they found the ranch. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the ranch later, earlier that year. I can't remember what what exact year it was. but It was I about said, 2011 or 12, yeah, I remember, I think something it was, like that. I think it was 11, yeah, 2011. Yeah. And so uh, I stayed at the ranch for, see, 2011. I think I got out of the ranch around 2014, 15 maybe, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so I stayed at the ranch. And so when I first came to the ranch, the boys' ranch, Eagle Rock, and uh, – a, a lot of boys there hated that place. You know, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with it, you know. But me, for me, there was structure, you know, which you have to have mm-hmm. that as a as a child. But coming from what I had came from, I was loving it, you know. Mm-hmm. I was loving that place. You had, like, freedom, you know, to go and, you know, work, mm-hmm. make your own money. Uh, even at that age, you know, you could do. We were doing work, making money. Um, you could buy what your own stuff. You had your own room, you know. You had a roommate, or some guys had their own room, and you had that a lot more freedom. Which a lot of those kids they didn't have. That they didn't. That wasn't freedom to them. But for me, mm-hmm. coming from what I had, that was like that was amazing to me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I loved it there, and. uh I ended up going to one of the high schools, and it was one of the bigger schools. So they, they uh, I don't know, coming from where I went to school, where it was a smaller classroom. Mm-hmm. It was tough. It was, it, was, it was a big school where you yeah, had to go. The school I went to was a two or three times bigger, you know. So I didn't really have that um, one-on-one, you know. So I, I, I knew I, was, I wasn't really failing out of school, but I just didn't have any desire to go. So I talked to uh, the lady that was running the ranch and I kind of told her, like, Hey, you know, can I just get my GED? And she was like, Oh, I don't know about that. You know, back and forth, you need to go to school. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not learning anything, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the time, that's whenever they had just bumped the GED up where it was supposed to be a, really, really hard to get your GED to try to keep kids from wanting to, you know, drop out and get their GED. 
And so I talked my social worker, went back and forth with her, and finally they agreed, you know, as soon as you drop, you know, you withdraw from school that you'll have to do this, pro, you know, you'll have to get your GED. So I did that. Uh, I got out of that, got out of that high school, and that next week they, they you know, they send you to this pro. y'all send me to this mm -hmm. program. Yeah. I think I was only there for maybe like two weeks. And they're like, okay, he's ready, you know, yeah. to get his GED. And they're like, you know, you're moving on pretty fast, whatever. So I went and took, took the test and uh, passed the test. Everything was mm -hmm. good. And by this time I was in 10th grade and I had uh, already had my GED. So, yeah, a lot of the guys took them months and months and years even to get there. Yeah. You, you just got out and took it. And yeah, I kind of just got out and, uh, Took took that test, you know, a week or two, and I got that under my belt. And uh, I remember the day I got got it. It was uh, I think I actually got it on my birthday because you were the one that gave it to me. Yeah, it came in. It came to your office or something like that. And I've still got it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the certificate. I've got so, a, I've got a, a bunch of certificates. Yeah. Of guys that got their GEDs because that's that's a proud moment for me, having seen what you guys went through. Yeah. And for you to make that accomplishment was I mean, it's hard. You yeah. guys had it you had it tough. And yeah. To to work your way, the G E D is no laughing matter. It's tough. But you you worked hard and apparently you learned some stuff in spite of all the things you had to go through. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I remember you getting that. I was I was I would have been sixteen at the time. So now the next step was for me, you know, to go ahead and start college. And so I'd always been really good at math and you know working on things i like i like to take things apart put them back together so i ended up going for robotic engineering i think i went for about a year maybe semester about a year and the same thing i just i just didn't like being in a classroom you know mm -hmm. and uh i ended up getting a job at the company i'm working at now and i remember i started out there you know making $10 an hour, working 50, 60 hours a week. And uh, like I said, everything kind of clicks for me. And I think that's where ADHD helps me. And that and my um, childhood working, you know, from starting out seven, eight years old all the way until I ended up, you know, leaving that family. I was working even mm -hmm. after school, you know, I'd have to get out and work, whatever whatever he needed us to do. So that helped me a lot. And uh, I just worked my way up at that company. And now I've been a supervisor for out there for probably a little over four years, four mm -hmm. going on five years. So I moved up pretty quickly out there. And uh, now my next step is to go, you know, back to school. That's what I'm starting on is uh, – Going back to school and uh, getting that getting that degree to yeah. move farther up, you know. What what's the key to advancing career wise in terms of attitudes and things you do? For me, I would say um, a lot of times, especially whenever you're working for an, another company, is just they're going to offer you extra work, you know, overtime or move here do you want to move here uh, my main thing was to learn as much as 
I could to make myself more valuable to the company. And that's what I do is just anytime I have an opportunity to learn, especially if you're getting paid for it, you know, do that. Learn learn whatever you can and don't have the mindset of that's not my job, you know. I, that's his job or, you know, well, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll just go home. I already worked my eight hours, you know. I worked a bunch of 14, 16-hour shifts, you know, growing up to learn as much as I could, and that's really going to push you ahead because working for a company, they see you wanting, you know, wanting to make that extra money, and they're seeing that guy, he wants to learn, he's learning, and that's that's really what's going to get you ahead of the other guys, being eager to learn and, like I said, just taking advantage of any opportunity you can to be get ahead of the next guy, you know? Yeah, and so you're living proof that that works. Do you know at what point in your life, was there ever a point that you said, you know, I'm going to do better, or did it just kind of evolve? Really what what uh, set it up for me to realize I need to go that extra mile is whenever my daughter was born, you know, it, it still wasn't – I still didn't have that – that mentality, whenever, you know, her mother was pregnant, it was really once once I held her in my arms, I was like, okay, this is it. You know, I have to give her everything that I didn't have. So she was a turning point. That was that was the turning ways. point where, okay, this, is, this isn't about just me anymore. You know, this is about her. And so the last thing I ever want her to go through is – anything that I had to go through, you know? So what do you say to the young guy who is where you were 10 years ago? I would say to take advantage of any opportunity, opportunity that you can, you know, to, uh, if you have that opportunity to go to school or if you have opportunity to learn from anyone, I would learn as much as I can and uh, use that to, Set yourself up, really. You're always trying to improve yourself. And there's no reason that you can't. Man, we have guys that, that came out of the ranch, and all their stories were kind of like yours. They all have, had challenges and disadvantages. But, man, the things they're doing with their life, yeah. it's incredible, isn't it? You know yeah. those guys. They're, yeah. great, they're great dads. They're, they have great jobs. Yep. There's, things are so much better for, for their kids than it was for them, just like with you. What, and I see I see pictures on Facebook of of Zay and the things you do. What do you think it takes to be a great dad? What I would we, think for me, um, I would I think for me, what helps me to be a great dad is to uh, I know a lot, especially as a dad, you kind of want to stay that manly man, you know especially having a daughter, I would say just throw your dignity to the side, you know, mm -hmm. and get down on her level with her, you know. If she's two or three years old, or my daughter's six now, you know, I'm going to, whenever it's time to play with her, I'm going to act six, you know. Yeah, you, you were gonna, out playing with water balloons yeah, at the birthday party. Yeah. There. yeah. So get, get down to her level because that's where she's going to relate with you the most is, when you're treating her like a kid, you know, mm -hmm. and then um, whenever it's time to be stern, 
you know, especially in things you believe in that you want to instill in her, be stern about those things. What do you want her to say about you or think um, about you? That I love her. You know, I loved her. I showed her how much I loved her her whole life and that I was always there for her and that I uh, made sure she knew what was right and what was wrong, you know? That's awesome. There's a kind of a footnote to your story that I think is kind of neat. Several years after you got out on your own, you get a phone call one day. Yeah. So uh, it was, um, see, seven years. It'll have been in uh, April of uh, April the 14th of uh, 2016, actually. I was actually at work where I'm working at now and uh, I had a meeting to go to and this lady had messaged me on Facebook. And so I get this message and it was from this random lady and she said, um, can you please uh, call me? This is my phone number. And I was like, who is this, you know? And uh, I messaged her back. Oh, no, I don't know who you are, you know, especially – you, there's a lot of scams, on, obviously, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So she was really adamant. She was like, please call me. I'll pay for your call. I'll, anything, just call me. And uh, so finally I uh, messaged her back. I said, okay, I'll call you. You know, so, well, I, I ended up calling her. said, let's see who this is. And she uh, answers the phone. And she says, uh, are you Tyler Hewitt? And I was like, uh Yes, ma'am. And she's like, Tyler Bruce Hewitt. That's my middle name. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And then she she asked me when, what my birthday was. Well, she said, is my birthday my birthday? And I said, yes, you know, kind of starting to get accurate. Like, what, what's going on, you know? And then she started crying. And I was like, hello, you know? And she's like, I found you. I found you, you know? And she was all, she was tore up. And I said, who, who are you, you know? And she said, I'm your um, your dad's wife, your biological dad's wife. And I was like, Jerry? Because I had just seen his name on a uh, my birth certificate. And I was like, uh, Jerry? And she was like, yes, Jerry. I, I said his last name, and she was like, yes. And I said his middle name, and she's like, yes, that's him. And I was like, no way. You know, she's like, yes, I, I'm serious. And so uh, I'm crying at this point, you know, and she's like, your dad loves you. He never stopped loving you. He's been looking for you all these years. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know, but whenever you're young, the syst- the uh, the way the system works is they're not. It shouldn't be easy for people to find you. You know, you don't gonna you don't need to be able to find a kid. You know, and so it was really hard for them to find me. But uh, she never gave up looking for me, and I heard her stories calling all of these other Tyler Hewitts and girlfriends getting mad. Who is that? Who, who, why do you keep calling my man? And all of those, you know, why are you calling me stories? And finally she found me in, you know, Gaston, Alabama. And, uh, that next day we were on an airplane. I was on an airplane up there to go see her, you know, to go see my father and meet her. And, uh, my, they have my stepsister, Mm-hmm. and uh met them and um it was, it was amazing you know i met my father and my my dad he's 
great. He's uh, successful. He has his own company out there. He has a really big uh, construction company out there, and um, he's just, you know, I, I talk to him all the time, and I, I go out there every now and then and spend time with them, and I see all my family that's out there, and, you know. So it's a great, it's a great story, and it just yeah, it had warm, a really warms my heart every time I hear it. Yeah. So Tyler, you again, you're you're an inspiration to me, and it's one of the joys of my life to know that I I dedicated my life to helping guys like you, and you've made it, and you're still making it. I mean, you every day, it's every day, one day at a time. But uh, you're you're an inspiration to me. And I want to thank you for that. You're also an inspiration to a little girl. And, yeah. Uh, she, you're you're her world. And so we had her do a little, just a short little video clip for you. We want you to see that. What do you want to thank your daddy for? Um, a drone. You want to thank him for a drone? Okay. Uh, what is your favorite memory of you and your dad? We went to a very fun water park and it was so fun. I loved it and we went to that little park where it was so fun. Alright. And what makes your daddy so special? Everything and, I, and it makes me so special. It makes him so special because I love him so much. Alright. And What's something you want to say to your daddy in this video? Um, I love you so much, daddy. You are the best daddy ever. You are the best. <laughs> <laughs> Is it worth it, Tyler? Oh, absolutely. Yep. All, all the working long hours. Oh, yeah. All the stuff that you do to be a great dad. Is it worth it? Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, you're an inspiration again, so... Thanks again for coming in. Uh, I know it's hard to go back and tell your story, and sometimes people just want to leave it behind and go, and I get that. I understand it. But you've, you've made the sacrifice to, to share your story so that you can help other people, and then we're going to help you to do that. So thanks again. Thank you. That'll conclude, that'll conclude this episode of That's My Dad, where – we're inspiring fathers to be great dads, and we're breaking cycles of generational fatherlessness. See you next week.